Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. This is the Google Teacher Tribe Podcast, episode number nine. Welcome to the Google Teacher Tribe Podcast. Your source for the latest news on Google for education, tips, tricks, and teaching ideas you can use in class tomorrow. And here are your hosts, Matt Miller from DitchThatTextbook.com and Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com. So, Matt, I'm having a few technical difficulties today. What? Technical difficulties? I thought whenever we did, like, technology as our as our job that we didn't have technical difficulties. Oh, always. Always have technical difficulties. Uh, I also find that people love it when you have technical problems as a presenter <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because they know that it happens to everyone. So, um, if my voice sounds a little bit different, I'm actually having to record on my phone and I'm traveling right now and my computer has completely died on me and I will be having to work on that as soon as I get home. So, um, But this is the world that Matt and I live in. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly on the road and out there talking to teachers across the nation and enjoy it for sure. But um, sometimes we may have to be a little bit creative with our recording and be coming to you from different time zones and things like that. So um, it can definitely be a challenge, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like sometimes we're doing the, that's, that's like the not so glamorous part of, of this podcast that you guys never see is that sometimes we're coming to you from a hotel room or sometimes we're coming to you from a conference where we just grabbed an empty room and recorded or, you know, that's, that's kind of the way that this all comes together. But hey, you know, it eventually does come together. And speaking of coming together, I think we've got a good episode for you guys today that is coming together. That was not my best transition, but we're going to go with it. So yeah, there's so much to talk about in this episode. Yes. So Tell us what's, what's inside, Matt. Well, I will. Um, we're going to be talking about a tool that I know Casey and I absolutely love, and that is Google Forms, where you can make these cool surveys that do all sorts of great stuff. So we'll talk a little bit about what they are and how you can use them in class and how they can even be a huge time saver for teachers. And we've got some Google news and updates to share with you, including some really neat things that will help teams work together better, which could be within departments or within schools. We've, of course, got audience feedback and a a great question from a listener and some blog posts. So without further ado, let's get to it. So, Matt, we had some exciting news and updates from Google last week. Right. They had the um, the Google Cloud Next 17, their big announcement 
the big convergence that they have to talk about all that is is great about Google and all that's coming and, and all of those types of things. So there were some really exciting updates. I, I think some of these will have some great classroom implications and some great opportunities to collaborate for teachers, for teams, for students, and, and lots of different things. So we were introduced to something called Team Drives, which we really had only seen in an early adopter program. So so Matt, tell us what Team Drives is going to offer us. Yeah, Team Drives is really cool. I know um, whenever Drive was created at first, it was created with the individual in mind, thinking that you had you know just specific people and they would have their own files and then they might share them with others. But as sharing continued to take off and teams were sharing more with each other, I think Google started to realize that they needed more of a team option. And so team drives, there's, there's nothing real complicated about it. It's basically, it's basically a drive that is created so that a team can access it. Now, what's really nice about this is that the, the, the thing about teams is that they're constantly changing and you have people that will leave a team and will come on to a team. And whenever you had individual file sharing, that was kind of a, a pain because sometimes somebody from your team might leave. Like I know with, uh, with teachers, sometimes they would leave and they would have files that everybody really wanted. And whenever their drive got taken offline, then those files would, you know, would basically die. And so if you have things saved in a team drive, now it's a central hub, a central access point for everybody. And so it really makes accessing all of those things by different team members so much easier because they're not tied to individuals. Yes, this is huge. And by the way, we do have a link to the details um, including how to enable it in your admin panel. So you have to have this turned on for you by whoever's in charge of your, your domain at, at your school. Um, so the, that link will be at googleteachertribe.com slash nine, right? We're on episode nine. Yes, nine. That is correct. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, uh, I, I changed my page. So I actually joined the early adopter program for Team Drives, and I've been really impressed with it so far. And if you haven't seen it, what will happen is – as soon as it's turned on, and it usually takes about 24 hours before you can actually create a team drive, but your team drives will appear on your Google Drive page, but just under my drive, um, but at the same level. So you know how you have your little arrow with your drop down with all your folders inside my drive, you will have the same um, same type of little arrow next to team drive where you can create those. Now, what what Matt was saying is, there is no specific owner of a team drive, which is what's great because the changing of the ownership and when people leave and all of that. And um, so sharing looks a little bit different inside team drives. And so when you go to that share button, you'll see sort of a, a different type of window. But I think this is going to offer a lot of great opportunities for um, especially at the, the administrative level in terms of managing things and, and collaboration between teachers and teams and things like that. Yes, and it'll be really interesting to see where teachers take this and where school teams take this. So, Casey, you've got another another piece of news to share about Hangouts, right? Yes, so another big update that we heard about last week was with Google Hangouts. And so now there is something called Google Hangouts Chat, 
and something called Google Hangouts Meetings. And so right now, Meetings is still an early adopter type of thing, and I've already checked. They have closed the form, so you can't even go try it if you want to. So I'm really going to focus on chat. And let me tell you, some people are calling this the Slack killer. Right. Because this is going to bring in some of those aspects of collaborating and working on team tasks and things like that and then and trying to get things done as a team. So a much more collaborative space other than just being able to to talk, you're going to be able to share and and to create those those types of things inside the chat. So again, um Details are in the show notes, but this is something that has to be enabled inside your Google domain. I've already enabled it in my Google for Education domain and to turn on the actual chat. So formerly what we used to call Google Talk inside um, G Suite for Education is now the Hangouts chat. And so hopefully we'll get a little bit more access to meetings and to see the little chat bot, which is actually doing some super cool machine learning and helping make our lives easier. So really excited to see um, where all of these updates take us. I was geeking out last week trying to catch the live announcements. Yes, because I'm I'm that girl. <laughs> I'm the one who's trying to learn in a session, plan for another session, and watching the live Google announcements. And we but, love that about you. Uh, yeah. Hey, that's that's me. So <laughs> that's that's what we do. So we have. These fabulous news and updates, but you know, sometimes we get some great tips from some of our our listeners as right. well, and they're shared to us whether it's on um, you know Twitter or Google Plus, or sometimes people leave us some messages and things like that. So, Matt, this is a really cool, maybe spooky trick you a might say. Spooky trick, yes, exactly. So I stumbled upon this one out on Twitter, and this was shared by Heather Sanders, and I love her Twitter handle. It's called Cool Teacha. And it's spelled K-O-O-L-T-E-E-C-H-A. So that's her Twitter handle. And I think that she shared this around Halloween. And the link that we have in the show notes will take you to a slide presentation where she shows you how to do this. And she says that sometimes, and this is so true, sometimes you share a link with students in a document or a slide presentation or something, and they want to just immediately click on it and jump in, and they're already four steps ahead of where you want them to be. And so if you want to hold them back a little bit so that everybody gets to that link at the same time, here is her trick. I thought this was sort of like a, a cool ninja trick that you wouldn't have expected. One way that you can keep kids from jumping right onto that is to highlight that link and change the text color, ready for this, to white. Then, I mean, it's not, it's not easily seen. It's not obvious. They could technically still stumble upon it. But if you change it to white, then you let them jump into that document. And then as soon as you're ready for them to go to that link, you can go highlight that text and go change it back to black if you want. Or you can tell them where to click. And then they can go on. And so I thought that was a pretty clever trick to kind of manage things and keep kids from jumping off to places that we're not quite ready for them to go to yet. Yeah, we don't we don't always want them to keep going. Sometimes there are are definitely reasons to to keep them from from moving ahead until the rest of the class is ready to go. So I love that idea that that's pretty pretty intriguing and very smart. So so thank you, Heather, for sharing that with us. Yes, absolutely. And of course, one more time, if you want to see those news and updates or that spooky trick, then you can always go to googleteachertribe.com slash nine. <laughs> 
So I know that when it comes to Google Apps or G Suite, a lot of times people think of your docs and your slides and your sheets because it's so similar to you know the the Microsoft Office that we've used for for so many years. And but there are a handful of other tools out there that can really kind of change the game in the classroom. And I would put Google Forms in that category. And if you're not real familiar with Google Forms, it's basically Google's tool to create surveys. And just the ability to create a survey and to gather responses from people is pretty huge. But Google Forms is really one of those like innovative, versatile tools. It's kind of like your Swiss Army knife of Google tools so that it can be used in lots and lots of different ways. It's really flexible. I've seen teachers use it in just a ton of of different creative ways. And so we want to dive in just a little bit to some of the features that you can use in Google Forms and how those can be used in the classroom. And I've seen tons of cool examples. And Casey, you've got one of the more common ones, I think, to kick us off. Yeah. So with Google Forms, sometimes I'm really surprised at how many people haven't actually used Forms yet. Like you said, Matt, I think a lot of people kind of start off with Docs. I feel like Forms is so easy and user-friendly that you can, like even if you haven't experienced anything else, if you're completely new to G Suite, you can use Google Forms. And one of the, the later features that we have added is now the ability to not only create a survey, but to create a graded quiz built into Google Forms. So beforehand, we kind of had to get creative with our add-ons and use things like Fluberoo and SuperQuiz to actually create a graded quiz. But now they have built this into Google Forms. So as you're creating your questions, you can actually give it a point value and tell the form which answer is the correct answer. So you do actually have to set it up as a quiz, not a form. So be sure in your settings. And you can go change this later if you have created a form because you won't see those options unless you create it as a quiz. And so this feature alone has really just made things so much easier because Fluberoo was not necessarily for a novice. And I I think that um, the ability to create a graded quiz, I am a big fan of anything that makes things easier for teachers. This This is one of those features that really taps into the idea of instant feedback. And that's something that I am very interested in right now because I I really feel like that's one of the things that technology can do in the classroom that changes the game, that changes learning, is that we can get kids this feedback that they can use instantly. And what's nice about quizzes is that once you're done with the quiz, you can actually have each of those questions give students a little bit of feedback so that they know why the right answer is the right answer and they can implement that right away. So, yeah, the quiz feature is is really nice. It's pretty easy to use, too. I mean, you know, you just go up into your settings and you go to the quizzes tab and it kind of walks you right through it. So, And they keep adding new features to forms. Like, you know, the transition to the new forms was, I will say, a little bit difficult for me because at first it was missing some of the features that, that I missed in, in the classic forms, so to speak. But now that everything sort of has the same um, material design that Google calls it, mm-hmm. we have the, the three dots or the three lines there's always a menu or a more actions button there. So if you're ever looking or clicking around trying to figure out how to do something in in these different Google applications, but especially in forms, things seem to have been hidden behind those those three little dots that you see in various places, such as the settings like we were talking about and being able to, to transition into things. So you and I were talking before we started this episode that 
Google Forms could be like nine episodes or ten episodes. Oh. There's yeah. so much, and and it may be, folks. So, um, so we're just going to scratch the surface today. We're not going to go super complicated. We're not going to get super geeky with add-ons today. Um, however, if you are an add-on geek, um, we are right there with you, and we will eventually start talking about some of those things too. But we just to kind of get get started with forms and make sure that everybody who is new to forms gets what's what they need out of this episode. One thing that was added not too long ago that I was I was happy to see was that you can get email notifications whenever a new response comes in. So here's basically how that works is that you deliver your Google Forms survey to somebody and then they take that survey and they hit submit down at the bottom. And whenever they're done, all of that data gets saved in the Google Form. You can have it saved to a spreadsheet. But now you've got the option for the form to send you an automated email that says, hey, somebody just submitted a a response in your form. And it's really nice, especially when you have forms that are not that don't get responses regularly. Now, if you are using Google Forms to do a quiz or to do something where you're going to have like 100 students go through it in the course of a day. I would not recommend turning on email notifications for that one because your inbox is going to be filled up in a hurry. But if it's something that doesn't come in so often, like I know Google Classroom has just recently added um, email notifications for late work. But before that was an option, this was a really a really nice workaround for that, whereas you could set up a, a form and have students fill in their name and the assignment that they turned in late so that you knew that it was turned in. And then as soon as they submitted that, then it would send you an email and it would notify you, hey, there's this, you know, this late work. And so just finding ways like that where if there, if you want to gather information or data from students or parents or other teachers and it just doesn't come in as often, it's really easy to do that. And the way to turn that on is if you're in Google Forms, you just click on the Responses tab and you've got the three little dots that are over next to the green spreadsheet icon. And if you do that, you just hit Get Email Notifications for New Responses. And then all of a sudden, it will just start sending you an email notification whenever there's a new response. Yes. And and that was something that we, we used to have a little bit of a workaround with add-ons and things like that to do in the older form. So I love that it's built right in. Mm-hmm. I use this on, on my contact forms that I use on my website. So this is a great way it, for teachers to, to set that up on their own teacher websites. Maybe they have a, a parent contact form or some way that people can contact them through their website. And if you set that up as a Google form, this way you don't have to remember to go check the form right. because I I have way too many forms out there and I don't remember to go check everything. So I just rely on that quick little email notification. Hey, someone has responded to your form and I can click directly from that email to, to read that response. And I love how you can see the individual responses now inside forms, right. you know, before it was so much harder. And even looking at it in a sheet sometimes is not always that great, but um, the ability to see those responses just right there inside the form is is very handy. Yeah, and even whenever you have something that's a you know like a closed response, not an open response, like a you know type it in. But if it's multiple choice or true false or you know something like that, it'll even put a little pie chart up there for you to see them immediately. And I mean that's that's really really handy too. Yes, it, and um, those are easily transferred into presentations and yes. other things like that too, so that you can use that data 
in there. Now, the other thing is, even though we can't create forms on mobile, students can respond to forms on mobile. And we have a lot of great options now in terms of question types. And, you know, we've got our normal multiple choice and the short answer. And like, you know, Matt was mentioning sort of those open responses, paragraph answers. But we also have the ability to add file attachments inside a form. So before it is submitted, you can actually attach whatever it is. So that might be, you know, part of an assignment. Or um, I saw some great tips shared on the Google EDU forms tips slideshow that I have shared before. But um, by the way, that is linked in the show notes as well. But in terms of whether they're on mobile or desktop, students can submit those files. And so I saw someone suggested when you have to turn in permission slips, like for field trips and things like that, you can snap a picture with your phone or your tablet and then just upload that into the form. So the teacher still gets the file and it's all, you know, organized for them inside Google Forms and the oh, response. Brilliant. So, yeah, you know, it doesn't have to just be an assignment, but sometimes just collecting all that paper or sometimes the paper actually making it from the home back to the school can be a challenge. So if that if that can help and you've got a signed you know, sheet of paper by a parent that you can you can attach right there inside the Google form. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, that's brilliant, because if you think about it, I mean, how many times <laughs> I've got three kids. This happens to me, too. How many times do we go, OK, where was that paper? And then we're thinking, OK, we need to make sure that we get that sent back to school and we're trusting that it will go from the backpack to the classroom. <laughs> and so right. if, if we don't even have want to worry about that, I mean, how many of our parents at home have smartphones that will take a picture and they could just upload it through the Google form and then boom, it's done. They don't have to worry about that. So and now I'm starting to even go further than that with all of the forms that you have to send home with parents. I mean, you could substitute a lot of those with a simple Google form or a snapshot of the paper form attached to a, a Google form. So yeah, I mean, the, the sky's the limit on that. I really love those. And Matt, I don't know about you, but when I, when I think about like the beginning of the school year, I don't, I don't know how it was in your school, but there were like 12 million forms that went home to parents. Oh, yes. And, and parents are filling out the same information over and over again. And most of the time it's still on paper, which still kind of boggles my mind, um, no matter what it is. And so, you know, how awesome would it be if that sort of collective information could be in that contact form and every teacher of that student also had access to that form and whoever else needed it, the administrator that's over that student or, you know, the office and things like that. Of course, I do realize there are different forms and have some some privacy issues and different things like that. But for that, like parent contact information and things like that, oh, why yeah. do you need to fill that out for a, a new piece of paper for every teacher that that child has? Um, let's make things easier on the parents as well as the teachers and, and just kind of sort of simplify that process. Yeah, yeah. And then if they put it in through the form, the 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 information's already digitized and it's in a, a spreadsheet. I mean, it's easily sortable and yeah, it just, it just makes perfect sense. So, and yeah. So, and then one other thing that I wanted to touch on that, that I think is, is kind of cool when it comes to forms is using the, the drop down menu or the drop down question. And I've seen this used by, by teachers in the classroom, but also by administrators too. And what they'll do is they'll create a form and they'll make a drop down with all of the names of all of their students or all of the names of all of the teachers. And then what that means is that they can put another text field down below it 
and use that for documentation. And so what you can do there is you just have a simple form with just a couple of questions, and then you choose the drop-down menu of the if you're getting ready to do evaluations as a principal. You walk into that classroom, you load up this little form, and you choose the teacher's name and the drop-down, and then you just start typing in some text that you want to log. Or if you're a teacher and you want to document behavior, or if you want to document student learning, you know, examples of student learning, then you just pull up that form and you hit the drop down and you find the student's name and then you type the text. And then it just pulls all of that data into the spreadsheet. And it's really, really simple, but it can be pretty effective, I think. Definitely. And I, I love that idea, using that for documentation. And when you use that drop down, instead of having people type in certain answers. If you can take the time to set up that drop down menu for like student names or the class period, because there's 12 million ways to write those out. You know, some people might input last name first, some might do first name first. And then when you go to your Google sheet, you can't sort it um, and filter it. So um, that actually makes your sheet a little bit cleaner as well. Yeah, yeah. The the sorting feature there, I mean, that, that makes it, that's worth the price of admission, as they say, Absolutely. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, that's, I mean, the, like Casey said earlier, we're just sort of scratching the surface here. Those are just a handful of the things that we think are really useful and some ways that you can use those. And I'm sure that we will be revisiting this whole Google Forms idea and talking about some of the add-ons and some other different ways that you could use those in class. But for now... Hopefully there's been something there that's been useful to you. And Matt, you know, we have a ton of links in our show notes right, right. now. I think we, I think we keep all of these here. So if you're looking for more, we have tons of resources on forms that we haven't even talked about yet, but we will continue to revisit Google Forms on the podcast. But until then, we want to give these to you in the show notes. So, so those will be there at googleteachertribe.com slash nine. The Google Teacher Tribe podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. Matt, I love reading your blog posts, so I sound like a fangirl over here, but I truly am. And, you know, and I have, I can't tell you how many of your, your little newsletters saved in my inbox for, for when I have time to get, to go back and, and do some learning on my own. So I really enjoy what you share and what you publish, and you have something really interesting to share on today's podcast yeah. um, about rethinking the definition of wasting time. You know, and that's that's something that we talk about a lot in the classroom is, you know, those those time fillers or what it means to waste time in the classroom. So, so tell us a little bit about that post. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a post that was inspired on a Sunday afternoon while I was on my hands and knees scrubbing the kitchen floor, believe it or not. And so <laughs> while I was doing that, I was kind of looking for an excuse to get up and, and take a break. And I I hadn't heard anything out of my three kids. I've got a fifth grader, a third grader, and a first grader. And so um, I just, you know, put the scrub brush down and went and figured out what they were doing. And I realized that all three of them were doing something that that certain people could construe as wasting time. But after I got done checking on all of them, I thought, you know, I'm kind of glad that they're doing all of these things. 
Um, you know, for example, my oldest was, was flying a drone that she got for Christmas. And, um, my, my younger daughter was trying on earrings. I mean, there were, there were little things. My, my son, who's the youngest, he was watching, uh, YouTube videos about American Ninja Warrior. He is totally obsessed (laughs) with that right now. And, um, so, and I started to think that there was really, there was actually some good that was coming out of all of those. And it reminded me of a comment from Jane McGonigal, who's an expert in game design and game theory, who I actually get to hear um, keynote at the uh, conference I'm going to in Michigan on Friday. And um, I'm very excited about that. And she yeah, said, she's- yeah, yeah, she is. And uh, she talked about how video games aren't a waste of time if we can show the benefits and so I always think that it's important that whatever it is that we're doing, that we can tie it back to the benefits. If, if we're getting something out of it, uh, then that's that to me says that it's not really wasting time. So that's kind of I dig into it a little bit more, a little bit deeper than that. But that's kind of the gist of that that particular blog post. That's great. Yeah, I think I think we need to rethink a lot of things in, in education. And I can definitely see that making an impact. And I, I love how things come to us, even in the most mundane tasks. Right. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> we're on our knees scrubbing the floor. Right. So, yeah. Um, and we, I think what you and I try to do is we really just want to help teachers. I think that's, that's both of our goals and the goal of this podcast and for our blogs. And so one of the things that I discovered as Chromebooks have just sort of taken over the devices in our schools is searching the Chrome Web Store for good apps and extensions that we can use in the classroom is not so easy. And so I started keeping lists on my on my blog of my favorite apps and extensions. And let me tell you, those lists just kind of got out of hand. It just kept getting longer and longer and trying to keep up with that was difficult. And then I thought, well, who's got the time to go and read all of this? You know, teachers have so many different subject areas and grade levels that they could possibly teach. So how can I make this something easier? And so I developed a a searchable database using awesome tables and Google Sheets. And basically, I took all of my favorite apps and extensions, and then I crowdsourced more apps and extensions into this database that is not only searchable, but you can filter by app or extension, by subject area, by grade level to find out what other teachers are using and, and sort of these these vetted um, Chrome apps and extensions. So um, I updated this not too long ago. This came out last year, but I keep adding to it. And by the way, if you go to this link, there is a link to a Google form. So if there are some favorites that you have, please, please help me make this better and fill out the Google form and share with me what your favorite Chrome apps and extensions are so that I can share this with other teachers. Yeah, that's awesome. That's going to be a really, really nice resource. So and whenever we can crowdsource with everybody, I think that's a good way to go. And I have to say that while you were talking about that, I kept hearing that that dumb like YouTube video, the, the, the old expression, ain't nobody got time for that. Right. <laughs> I kept hearing that go through my head while you were talking about this because yeah, we don't yeah. have time to look all of this stuff up. No, ain't nobody got nobody time got for it. that. Yeah. And there, so there's there's already 150 plus um, apps and extensions in this list. Wow. So, yeah, ain't nobody got time to read 150. So you need to be able to find <laughs> and filter. By the way, you, there is a filter just for my favorite. So if you just kind of want to start from there, if you want to search Alice Keeler, because Alice has like a million and yes. you have one with her and that I one's do. on the list too so um, just 
some awesome things in there to share. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to check out either of those blog posts, of course, feel free to jump over to our show notes. Those are at googleteachertribe.com slash nine. So today we've got a really good question for you from our mailbag. And this one comes from Louis Soper from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Louis had a couple of questions for us, but the one we're going to touch on today has to do with guardian emails or parent emails in Google Classroom. And here's what he says. He says, are there any resources to help set up parent email summaries? Is this a function that needs to be allowed by our Google admin? And so we'll answer this one real quickly and easily. And the answer to both of those is yes. So are there any resources to set them up? I know that Google does have a nice support page Not all of the Google support pages are super easy and super user-friendly, but this one is. And it sets up the instructions. It gives you the instructions for how to set up those parent email summaries, which are kind of nice because basically what they will do is they will pull all of the assignments and all sorts of information that parents want to know automatically from Google Classroom and stick them into an email and then just shoot those out to parents without you even having to do anything. Um, now, by default, they are turned off. So if, you're, if your Google admin does allow them and your Google admin does have to allow them, but as soon as those are allowed, the default is set for off. And so if you want parents to be able to receive some of those updates periodically, from your Google Classroom, then you do have to go in and there's a setting to to be able to set that up. And we've got a link in the show notes, googleteachertribe.com slash nine, where you can go find all of the instructions to get that done. So Louie, that was a good question. I'm glad you brought that up and hopefully that solves your problem. Yes, the the parent email summaries was a feature that has been requested for a long time. And so having that ability is just huge. I know I used to have parents email me every day and ask me, what did you do in class today? <laughs> and, you know, as a teacher, you want to be like, well, did you ask your student what they did in class today? Right. But I, I really like I just always sent them a link to my calendar where I had all of the, that information, which is not at all what the compared to what they can get from from Google Classroom. So this is just a, a great way to keep parents informed. And even those those parents who, who ask that question every day should be satisfied. Yes. So hopefully that'll help out. It's a, it's a really nice feature and it's pretty easy to set up. So, Matt, I think that wraps up episode nine of the Google Teacher Tribe. I can't believe we're already nine episodes in. I'm, I know. I'm super excited about it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I said it. it we, we now have to say it in every episode. I think so. So. <laughs> so we have covered a lot of ground in episode nine. There were tons of, of really big updates that we shared lots of magic about google forms and some great questions from our mailbag and some other great resources from our blogs so we hope that you will follow us on twitter and facebook and use the gt tribe hashtag to connect with us and to connect with everyone else so um, i think we will see you in episode 10 where we interview jen giffen and she shares some really cool google tips and tricks and just some things that we have never thought of before so we're really excited for you to to listen to our next episode and matt i think that's it i think this wraps it up yeah yeah 
nine episodes and we're on to the 10th one and it'll be a great one too. So we will see you all on the next episode. Bye y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. Yeah, well, I'll just cross my fingers and and say, Chris, make me sound good. Yes, yes, exactly. So (laughs) he can dub over it with his voice. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Casey's talking and Casey's talking and it's high pitch Casey voice, not like really high pitch. And then it's like Chris Nassie voice. (laughs) Yeah, like when you're watching one of those movies where they try to cut out the bad words and they fill it with somebody else's voice. It sounds completely different. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, my goodness, you're such a really bad person for doing that. (laughs) Oh, you're going to you're going to be in the bloopers. Oh, Oh, dear. That's okay. I can live with that. That's priceless there. I like live in the bloopers. So, yeah. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.